2: Greg Dykeman in his major league debut, grounded out his first time. Left-handed batter, here's in the pitch by Lynn. A fly ball, shallow right field, coming in Vaughn, base hit. His first big league base hit, Greg Dykeman, a soft single into right field. And they're going to save that baseball for the trophy case of Greg Dykeman.
0: Hit and run with Matt Spiegel,
3: Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. We talk baseball every Sunday morning from 9 to noon, sometimes a little bit later if the Cubs have an afternoon game. They've got a night game tonight, so that means the writers are off. Um, They're able to relax on a Sunday morning. They don't need to be at the ballpark, and that seemed like the perfect time for us to bother Sahadev Sharma and make him give us some of his quality Sunday morning. I mean what uh what are sunday mornings made for except to talk to jamokes like me Sahadev. i know there's kids and there's a wife and there's nice weather outside but instead thank you for uh your time on the score good morning of course
1: yeah happy happy to do so i i was i'm technically off this weekend after being in colorado so i enjoyed ben harper out in evanston uh last night and, and just uh just hanging out this morning. So happy to, happy to talk some baseball with you.
3: That's awesome. Canal Shores Country Club there for Ben Harper last night. That, that, yeah. It looks, be- looks beautiful out there. Nice night to be out and hear some music, I assume.
1: Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. It's one of those things that if you live in Evanston, everybody talks about it. We've only been here for three years, so it was our first time to actually get out there. and, and it, was, it lived up to the hype of, of, of my fellow Evanstonians uh, talking to me about it. So it was a well, good time.
3: Outstanding, um, Sahadav. Where does this system rate right now? I said I saw somebody had an eleventh out of thirty. You know, and it's it's difficult, and it'll take a little more time to sort of figure out how some of these guys do and what seasons go on. But do the Cubs have a top ten farm system post trades at this point? Yeah, I would say it's close.
1: It's a you know, it's not a unanimous top ten uh farm system i believe fangraphs had them up to eight uh and fangraphs kind of does it where they they update almost constantly as as trades are made which which i find really interesting and then yeah most others seem to have pushed them into the top 15 close pushing the top 10. so i've talked to some people who say you know what there's a ton of upside here and if it clicks over the next year it's a top five. Arguably, could be one of the best farm systems in in the game, but it has to click, right? There's all this. I was just scrolling through the the box scores of the minor league, and the most exciting ones are the one is the Arizona Complex League, right? <laughs> that 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 just tells you everything you need to know. They're they're far away. There are some exciting bats, probably some of the best bats in the Arizona Complex League, but they're teenagers and. And it's going to take a while if that's the way they're going to do things. I just don't believe that that's – I I shouldn't say I don't believe. I I hope that's not the route that Jet is going and that he's true to his word in the sense that uh, this is going to be quicker than, say, the timetables of, of guys like Owen Casey and Presciato. We'll, we'll see who's remains in the farm system over the next few years and who, who's used as trades, who who they're going to build around, all those different things, I think – that's going to be the most fascinating thing over the next uh, however long, if, whether it's this off season that we really start finding things out or over the course of the next couple of years.
3: It was just a gut feeling at the beginning, but I'm, I think I'm still there that next year will not be about prioritizing winning on the big league level, that it'll be like a, a season of that, um, and then they'll hit spring training running in 2023 with – hopes of being you know that surprise contender that kind of thing but was i it is there a chance that they want to hit spring training next year feeling like they've got a shot to contend like are they going to be that aggressive in the offseason depending on what they have trying to read between the lines of stuff that jed has been saying
1: yeah i i am too to be honest and i am i think he's not a hundred percent sure how the market's going to work what type of opportunities they have so he's being a little hesitant as to say like you know where exactly what the plans are for 2022 i think there are there are opportunities i think that's, that they cannot do what they did when they first came uh we need to be aware also that 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 the Farm system, or the, the rules are changing, right? CBA is going to be new, and, and we have to figure out how they can take advantage of different things. What are the best ways to build a team under whatever the new CBA will be? So I think we need to be patient and see what's going to happen. I think if they don't go out and add some, some real you know high-money players, I don't know if that's the best of the best out there, or you take a couple one, two, three-year deals, uh, see what you can get. Uh, I think what the Giants did is is a good way to look at it. it. What the Cubs did this past off season, they can't do that, right? They can't slow play everything and 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 start picking from the the remaining free agents in in late January. That's not going to work. If you if you're talking about really contending, you need to if you find that if you if you're going to look in the undervalued uh, route, you have to do it early. You have to pounce on guys. Maybe pay a little bit more than you want to, but. I think that they, they have to start spending right away. I don't think you can go out there next year with a with a team that, you know, with a whatever, $80, $90 million payroll.
3: Is Nicholas Castellanos going to opt out? He's got two years left. What, what was it? Was, was it a, a four-year $64 million deal, which is, so so 16 per. He'll get more than two years at 16 each if he opts out. And would the Cubs really consider doing that? A guy of his age? We know it's a great fit in a number of ways, and he never should have been allowed to leave town. But um, do you think they'll actually consider that?
1: So when I wrote what I wrote, I I was trying to use Castellanos' jumping-off point of saying what I said just now, that they have to spend. They have to find a bat. They have to find someone. They can't they can't slow play this and say let's let's start building for a winner in 2024 or something like that right so they mm-hmm. i think Cassianis does make sense yeah is he a little older and may may not be perfect for the timeline mean, i'm not, i'm not sure he's going to be going to be 30 next year i believe he'll be playing his age 30 season next year I think that's not, that's not a terrible uh, time to start, like a guy that if you can get him for five years, that, that should work. He's starting to figure things out, really like clicking at the plate the last two years. I know 2020 was a weird year for everyone, so I kind of throw that out, but he clearly figured some things out with the Cubs, whether it's just mentally uh, figuring things out or physically as well. I, I think he's a, he's a top-tier offensive player. Uh, they, they're going to have spots in the corner outfield spots. There's going to be the D.H., I think he makes a ton of sense, and like you just said, I mean, two years, thirty-two million. If he can't beat that on an open market, then something's uh, severely wrong with with the free agent market, right? That something went awry with the CBA. If he can't beat that, I think that's the only question. Does he? I, I don't know what type of situation it is with the CBA. Do do you opt out when you don't know what the CBA is going to be? I think he has to make that decision before the CBA is figured out. But with Scott Boris as his agent, I think Boris is going to know that whatever the CBA is, he's going to be able to beat 232 in the open market. Uh, It would make sense for the Reds to aggressively uh, try and bring him back, too. He makes a lot of sense for the Cubs, I think, in multiple ways. I I know he'd he'd fit in well in that clubhouse, and, and he'd want to be on a winner. That's the main thing. If they sign him that's an indication that they are trying to win sooner rather than later because Castellanos isn't going to sign with the team. that says, listen, we have a three-year plan here or something like that. They, yeah. He wants to be competing right away.
3: Sahad of Sharma, The Athletic, joining me, Matt Spiegel, here on 670 The Score and hit and run on a Sunday morning. So, all right, so, so what does Jed want in the next offense? Um, you know, when you're going after prospects, sometimes you can't be choosy about traits, right? Like you take whatever, like the, the best guys you can get – but sometimes mm-hmm. you can. I'm, I'm trying to read into some of the profiles. Um, I like that Dykeman is a guy who used to be a lot more power and swing and miss and is now trying to get a little less swing and miss into his game and is already thinking about it on that level. But, you know, I think mean, you look at Madrigal and you're like, oh, my God, is this a massive overcorrection to contact and not, and, not, uh, and, and not swing and miss? But trying to get a feel for what kind of offense Jed wants to build. Do you know?
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's a fair question and I think they learned some lessons over the last uh, you know, 5 7 years with what they built. And and that's to say that you can't just go all in on one trait, right? They they went hard in on the power. Uh unfortunately those guys didn't develop uh other characteristics like they had hoped or they just didn't develop at all, right? There were some misses there along the way. <clears throat> and they never replaced uh, Fowler and over in any real way I think that's I think they knew that they just tried to get through it with the talent that they had and it it never really worked uh I mean we saw this offense maddening frustrating over the years so much talent and didn't really add up to a great team I think there are that they they're looking for different pieces but they want that you know if you if Javi uh Bryant and Rizzo were all under contract we wouldn't be talking about this right they they, they'd still be here if if they weren't free agents at the end of the year, that that those trades wouldn't have happened. It's not like he doesn't like those types of players anymore. I think what they're looking for is they want core players like that, but you also have to build around them in a smarter way. Uh, the role players matter. Uh, one thing that stood out to me was how, I and mean, we've talked about this, how Duffy and Nico changed the lineup in May, right? Yeah.
3: The
1: thing is, you can't have those guys go down and then the offense just fall apart. That's, I think, a really important point that Jed uh, made when when the offense did fall apart again. He said, "Yeah, that's great that they uh, diversified the lineup, but when your stars are still there, they still need to produce in some way. The offense still needs to show that it can it can be a formidable group, even if some you know some role players that are important, even if they go down, you still have to find ways to be productive. So that." That tells me you need a more well-rounded group of, uh, of core members. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like when I say that, then I think back. I was like, oh, Anthony Rizzo, when he's right, is pretty well, well-rounded. well Chris Bryant, when he's right, is pretty well-rounded. So I'm not – sometimes I have to go back and remind myself that this offense had a lot of talent at one point, but it just didn't work yet. They're, they're learning from that and how different pieces fit together. Uh, they're – it just was. It's one of those weird offenses that never really clicked, right? So, yeah. so how can you how can you create a more well rounded offense? I don't think they're going all in. I wouldn't read into Nico and 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 Madrigal being the only real key pieces that will be up next year that we know of uh, outside of Wilson. Uh, I, I wouldn't read into that and say they're going all in on contact. It's just how what they have right now. I mean, look at who else they added as far as prospects. All those guys are, are power guys. Uh, canario uh, uh kevin alcantara even mm-hmm. the guys that traded for in the u darvish trade these guys have power upside so there is power in the system and, and Brennan davis should be uh uh is close to a triple a call-up i would assume i'm not sure if he's going to get there this year but he's he's earning it that's for sure and and that's a guy that is, has a ton of power so I would I would not read too much into that uh but obviously they they're trying to create a more diverse lineup which I think is huge. I think they really need to cuz all of us have been frustrated watching that.
3: Absolutely. And 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 you know <clears throat> and the thing is if you're going to feel like you need some of those guys, whether it's Duffy or whether it's Daniel Murphy in past years or, you know, or waiting for Zobrist and all those things, having two young cost controlled guys in Madrigal and Horner that are just going to be there. that's kind of a nice yeah. thing that, that, that then, you, then you can fill in with power around that theoretically and and have it work out. Um, who, who's useful of the veterans that we're seeing? in the future. I'm getting, I'm, I'm having Darwin Barney flashbacks and that's my flashpoint <laughs> for it is like, Oh man, this guy's really good in 2012 or 2013. He's fun, but he's not really going to be important, but I don't know. He's still good. And will he be here what? you know, th- those kind of things. So I'm trying to figure out Patrick wisdom seems to be giving you uh, a, a glimpse of uh, of, of some possibilities for, for next year and beyond. Who else? Bodie? I mean, like, who else are we watching that might be a part of things by the time they're good again?
1: Yeah, and I would, like, caveat all this. Like, I think right now when you watch guys like this playing on a bad team and and they're performing – I think what you need to, what I try and do is is pull back a little bit and say, okay, this guy's proving at minimum he has a bench role on a winning team because it's just really hard to assume that these guys can be key parts of a winning team when when they're you know age thirty season and they're finally delivering, getting some regular playing time. Maybe they're more than that, but I need to see it in a real lineup and a hundred and sixty-two game season where they're competing all the way through for me to really feel confident about that. But wisdom is certainly a guy that's opened some eyes. Uh, he has, he still has that hole at the top of the zone with the heat. If he can even come close to kind of adjusting there, he doesn't need to completely close that hole, but if, if he can adjust in that fashion, I think he's a little bit more than a bench player Then, but right now he's clearly, you'd love to have him as a depth piece on a winning team. Rafael Ortega seems the same way. He can play all over the outfield. He makes uh he makes hard contact and he, and he yeah. seems to really work his butt off. And And I think he has a lot of respect in that clubhouse as far as how hard he's worked to get to this point. Uh, so, so those are two guys that I think at minimum, they have reserve roles uh, on a winning ball club. I just don't know, like we talked about before, how quickly is this going to be a winning ball club? I think that's important too. Uh, but those two guys have stood out to me, you know, we'll, we'll see what the rest of these guys uh, I'm curious about uh, Greg Dykeman. Obviously, he's more than you know. He's a prospect that they just traded for, an older prospect, so we don't, we haven't seen much of him. But like you said, he made that those adjustments in in the minors, and I, I think that's going to be interesting. Can he start tapping into his power again? What type of major league leaguer is he? These are all pieces to the puzzle. I don't think there's any key guy, core guy outside of Wilson Contreras that we're seeing right now. Nico uh, will be back eventually, and, and Madrigal next year. But I think the only guy that that you can say is the key part of a winning team is Wilson, uh, and and he'd, he'd need an extension for you to feel really good about him being around here for that next winning team. But hmm. the other two that I mentioned were taken with them. Yeah, well, let's, let's keep watching them. Let's see if they uh, if if they're better than a, a role player in the future. But I think at minimum they've proven that.
3: Um, two, two quickies for you before, before I let you go. One is I love the deep dive on Cody Hoyer and what Hadevee and Craig Breslow and everybody are bringing to the table. I love that Hoyer was a- a- aggressive about saying, oh, you've got thoughts for me. Yes. Bring it to me. And I, I, it seems like the Cubs infrastructure is in a place where they can offer that kind of thing to people, which I don't think was necessarily the case four years ago or even three years ago, perhaps.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think, uh, well, the infrastructure at the major league level has been strong for a while now, I think. And now with Breslow being added and and some of the things he's implemented with player development and the people he's hired and the positions he's put them in to succeed, I, I think I think there, there are some good signs. I'm a little concerned about the injuries, but uh, let's see how it keeps going. I'm, I, I think Cubs fans should keep an eye on Justin Steele. That That's something to watch going forward. It, it was great to see Alzali really uh, bounce back yesterday and use that change-up. All these little things are, are important right now because, you know, they're, they're going to need to spend on both sides, right? So if, if they can uh, get some uh, pitching prospects to pop, that, that'd be great to save them a little money so they can spend on offense or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Uh, but Steele, Keegan Thompson, I, I agree. There, there's been a change in the way pitching development has happened. Uh, is going on with the Cubs, and, and I think the the major league infrastructure has been great for a while, and now they have some young talent to really work with, and, and you're spot on with Cody Hoyer. It's it's all about the player, too, being willing to engage and willing to learn and listen, and then say, yeah, I've had success with this pitch, but yeah, maybe it's it's time to try a tweak. Maybe I, maybe you're right. Maybe what what you're showing me makes sense, and, and I'm going to dive into it and figure out exactly how to use my pitches and maximize my stuff so uh, <clears throat> there's more consistency, and I'm and, um, – uh, I think the goal there with Hoyer is to really separate, uh, create two fastballs, uh, and, and separate them, and really maximize those pitches. And I think if he can if he can pull it off, that's great. That that you know that's what you mm-hmm. want in in pitchers people are willing to learn and listen and really dive into stuff.
3: Um, and then my last thing: David Ross's willingness to be here for this phase. I he expressed a desire this week for a little more input on the acquisition side, if I heard that correctly. Um, And I think that's really interesting because, you know, if you're going to be part of it and and making the meals and picking the groceries and all that. But also it's just, you know, if if there really is that partnership, I wonder if Jed would would give in to some of that desire for a little more input on the acquisition side for David as part of um, adding to his willingness to be here.
1: Yeah, I think his his point was, listen, I'm starting to feel comfortable, more comfortable in this role, and I'm learning. He understands that he's not the decision maker as far as all that stuff, but he wants it, but he, he feels his input is valuable, right? He, he knows the team, he's around the team, he sees things, I know, I, like sees the strengths, sees the weaknesses. He just, I don't think he's demanding to make all the decisions as much as he feels his input is valuable and he has insights to what's working, what's not, and how they can improve. I think that uh, you know the more uh the more intelligent voices in there that that know what's going on and know what they need that that's great and I I think he his uh he has a desire to be a part of that process he wants to be a more uh, integral part of the process in the in the off season and and I think he should be I think that makes sense right he, he doesn't need to be throwing his weight around and demanding things uh, it doesn't need to be a, a poor relationship. I think it's a good working relationship. He's been he's, he's he's worked with these guys in the front office before, and now it's just having a little bit more input and and uh, say in what what's happening in the direction that that things can go. And he he knows he's one of those guys right now that when he talks, he loves all the pitching. Uh, you know the new the new era of how pitching is done and how is there's a lot of uh, you know the pitch lab and all that stuff but he he hammers home to listen to him he'll hammer home that you got to get it done on the mound you don't have your rap soto device like all that stuff doesn't matter sometimes you don't have your best spin rate sometimes you don't have your best stuff what are you going to do to get it done on that day you got to go out there and compete and and he's big on that And i I like that aspect it's not all just numbers and data and, and pitching in a lab uh you have to go out there and perform i think some of that stuff he values that stuff as well. So I think that's important when, when you're building a team as well.
3: Where in the set did Ben Harper do working your way from the ground on down? Was that the closer? Was it, uh, I it believe
1: was... that was early on. Was that the opener? I, so I like, I was also, yeah, I was with the uh, friends and my wife and, and it was my daughter's birthday yesterday. So I was chasing kids around too. There were kids at the concert. So, uh, uh it was, it was, a I believe that's what he, if I'm remembering correctly, he opened with it. But I could uh-huh. be, I could completely be. It's okay. <laughs> just remembering the order of the night. Uh,
3: uh, all right. Well, I, I, uh, I'm glad you got out there. Lord knows I myself am glad that live music is back, baby. And, uh, and thanks for the time this morning, Zahad. I appreciate it very much.
1: Of course, Steve. Take care. Thanks for having okay, me. Man.
3: You got it. It's a of Sharma from the athletic uh, Saw Ben Harper on the tour of that record. Uh, I forget what that record's even called, but that was, whew, that was a good show at Metro very, very late into the night Metro, the world's greatest rock club, the great Joe Shanahan over there. Um, and they're back, baby. Go out and support live music. If you're feeling safe enough to do it. Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run until the top of the hour. White Sox discussion, roster crunch coming, thoughts and options as Luis Robert will soon return. The good problems to discuss next on The Score.
1: Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported. 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier. And timely redemption required. Card has no cash
3: access and expires in six months. Hendricks wants a ground ball at somebody. Vaughn would like to get a ball in the air and a liner into center will give the White Sox the lead.
0: Here comes Engel. It's one to nothing. Andrew Vaughn staying hot. The expectation, assuming that when. Uh, Eloy gets to the park, he's good to play left field. That creates the opportunity, if, if you're gonna write Andrew in there, which I think I will, he'll play right field. And didn't think it was smart to send him out there without at least one game. And so they worked some extra day, but uh, I mean, it's amazing how well he's played in the outfield. Andrew Vaughn
3: in right field is not something you want to see too often in the playoffs. Eloy Jimenez at DH is something you are going to want to see in the playoffs. With Andrew Vaughn's bat in the lineup, in left field, in my opinion. Center field will hopefully be Luis Robert. And right field, probably Adam Engel, depending on the matchups And maybe you'll want to go with a lefty on occasion. Who that lefty will be depends on who's on the playoff roster. Before you get to that playoff roster, the White Sox have to make a roster move when Luis Robert comes back sometime this week. And a roster move is one thing to take somebody off the active roster and send them down or uh, create an injury or have the good fortune of an injury being timed out very well. Um, I, I, I suspect Gavin Sheets will go down to the minors just like Jake Berger did. Um, but Jake Lamb is a guy that I personally would be comfortable launching into the sun. And that would help both your 26-man roster and your 40-man roster. I, the 40-man roster thing is, is difficult for some fans to wrap their head around. Um, a team has a 40-man roster, okay, and it doesn't have to just be 40. You can add to those players in season to replace a player who's on the 60-day injured list. In the offseason, teams don't get the extra spots for injured players, and they have to get back down to 40. So, but during the season, they can add to that. So, for instance, right now on the White Sox 40-man roster, because some folks have been on that 60-day disabled list, Evan Marshall is on that 60-day injured list. Uh, Luis Robert will be coming off um that list so but because Luis Robert will be coming off they'll have to get somebody off of that list and who's it going to be as I mentioned I'd be comfortable launching Jake Lamb into the sun and I don't say that angrily I just would be fine not seeing him around I'd rather see Gavin Sheets than I would Jake Lamb but I don't know that Tony La Russa is going to feel that way Uh, And Jake Lamb can play third base, which can be helpful. uh, That's for sure. Lori Garcia can play everywhere defensively, and that is extremely helpful. So the White Sox will have to make some, some decisions here. What do you think is going to take place? I wonder if a pitcher is going to be excised. Evan Marshall's on the 60-day injured list. Evan Marshall has one more year of arbitration, and he has certainly shown plenty of upside. It doesn't have swing and, he doesn't have swing and miss stuff, but he's shown a, uh, an ability to get guys out and adjust previous to this year, especially. I don't think they'll give up on Evan Marshall. How about Jose Ruiz? Are you comfortable with them saying goodbye to Jose Ruiz, especially now that Renato Lopez has kind of surprisingly established himself as as an occasionally viable arm in short relief? Would you rather see Renato Lopez or Jose Ruiz come charging out from the bullpen to the mound in a moment of mild consequence, low leverage situation? That's something to think about. Jose Ruiz, possibly. You wonder how they feel about Jace Fry, who's back down in the minors and has been injured and then bad and then injured and then mediocre and then brought up and then sent back down. Tough to give up on a lefty arm that can hump it up like that and have its moments in the bullpen. Ryan Burr. Could Ryan Burr go from high leverage to DFA? Is is that possible that he goes all the way from high leverage down to DFA? There there might be a name that surprises you on that front coming up here in the next week or so. And they will be, it'll be very, it'll be very tricky. Luis Gonzalez, um, Sean, you were mentioning Luis Gonzalez now hurt, out for the season, but you can't put a guy from the minors on the 60-day disabled list, says our buddy James Fox from Future Socks. And he's right about that. So Luis Gonzalez can't go on to that list. <laughs> Texture says, uh, my wife just said, why don't you just spit coffee across the room? And I answered, Spiegel just launched a person into the sun. No warning. I wasn't ready. Yeah, you know, Tony, Tony La Russa is going to love himself some Jake Lamb. He does love himself some Jake Lamb. At whose expense? Everybody. And then as you get further along and closer towards... A playoff roster decision, it's going to get really interesting to me in terms of Hamilton, Goodwin, Lamb, Sheets, all those guys. Good problems. Now with that news from James, though, I think that your wish of firing uh, Mr. Lamb into the sum will probably happen. Just because – so? Well, because there's then you're looking at it, and I, I think that they would bring up – lamb back to the mlb roster just because they've been loving to do that little veteran thing like oh let's bat nick williams second so we just at least can get a look and you know maybe some someone out there could you know for his next job might see something they like and give him an opportunity based off of that i think they might want to do that with lamb especially with his connection with tony from arizona but now with the fact that they could you know at that point send sheets down and then activate lamb um now that they have to lose a player i think they'd probably just rather lose lamb and not even have to deal with calling down sheets yeah Uh, These, these are the interesting, these are the interesting issues. Um, When Yasmani Grandal comes back, by the way, they'll have to make a decision at catcher. And let me be on record, nice and loud and clear. Team Sebi Zavala. Team Sebi Zavala. Dude, as a pitch framer, as a receiver, as an overall defensive catcher. He made a play the other day, it was a dribbler, that he just kind of hopped up and spun quickly and was ready in throwing position instantly. The other night when we went as a show and we were there. His just his his defensive value. And look, if he's going to run into a home run every once in a while, or three, of course, but if he's going to run into a hit every once in a while, that's fine. That's fine. On, on this roster, man, I am enjoying seeing Sebi Zavala there. And there could be times where Sebi Zavala ends up coming in to, uh, to catch the final few innings because, you know, Yasmani Grandal can scare you a little bit. Wonderful as a pitch framer, but not a, not, a, not a terrific defensive catcher at some of the other things. I'm all about Team Sebi, and I didn't necessarily expect to be there, but here we are. 312-644-6767 is the phone number if you want to hop in. And um, White Sox fans, we can talk about all of this. Because, yeah, it's, it, 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 these are the, this is the good situation. This is you trying to figure out who's who. Steve Stone was on, in the show, on the show earlier and mentioned how good Aaron Bummer looked yesterday. And this has been true for a while, I think. If you look at the shape of his pitches, that outrageous slider, and the deception that's there, he's given up a lot of runs and offense on some weak-ass contact. And, I, you know, I, I, to me, it looks really, really good. The stuff right now. So here's, uh, here's hoping that that is settled in and in a good spot. And then you feel really good about your number one lefty coming out of the pen. Um, starting with the Field of Dreams game on Thursday, the White Sox have a A schedule that's daunting versus those Yankees who have been red hot for three games, then Oakland for four games and then on the road at Tampa Bay and at Toronto. So here we go. That record against teams at or below 500 will get a workout, as will that conversation. I've not freaked out about that very much myself. One, because I thought they looked so good in the recent series against the Astros and it's like okay uh, so the sample has been small anyway and then they looked really good there they're not like some fearful bunch and the other thing is that you know who's just above them in terms of the record against at or teams at or above 500 is the dodgers the dodgers are right there so you know it, it's some, sometimes you can have fun with sample sizes and things like that to me it's more important can they beat good pitching and and, and maybe that's Those things are obviously connected because those teams at or above 500 usually have good pitching. But you also might be getting good pitchers on the bad teams, and that could be affecting certain things. The splits that I'll want to be looking at are how they do against high velocity, because that's what they'll get a lot of in the postseason. And if we can look at it, how they do against starters with, you know, quality XFIPs, quality whips. Things like that, those kind of splits. How they've done over the course of the year against very good pitching. And that offense does indeed need to get going. Some folks have been struggling. Larusa was talking about that on how the White Sox offense can go ahead and get it right. This is from before the game yesterday.
2: You know, we're
0: down on the list of teams with the total home run numbers, which just shows you if you just put the ball in play and you group hits, you're going to score runs. So first thing we can do is, and we don't talk about it, Frank don't talk about, hey, we got to start swinging for more power. Square the ball up, hard contact, uh, especially with as many guys in our club that have good foot speed. You know, we can do a lot of damage with taking extra bases. And I also think, you know, if we square them up, the home runs will come. The home run. Let's hit 300. (laughs)
3: <laughs> that's Frank Manikino talking about Andrew Vaughn, right? Before Vaughn yes. finally hit the first home run. Uh, now Andrew Vaughn right, you know, coming into form. All right, a couple things. I mentioned um, that I'm um, Team Sebi. Um, Andrew Vaughn needs to be in this lineup every single day. Every single day. I don't care about the matchup. You find a way, you find a place to put him in that lineup. And I like him up there, too. I really do. I think that's a lovely place for Andrew Vaughn to hit in the lineup. So, you know, and also Michael Kopech will not start the rest of the way, should not start the rest of the way. Don't worry about that. You know there's some folks worried about that or you want him as your multiple inning guy um, in the middle of games, the right handed Andrew Miller type. I don't think you're going to have that kind of type. I think you're going to put it together and piecemeal it with all these guys on a one-inning, every once in a while, two-inning approach, with all of them able to come back a second day in a row now, including Kopech. It's 6:70. the score. Matt Spiegel is who you're with on Hit and Run, up until the top of the outer when Rami Makloff comes in for you. We'll come back, take your phone calls on the score, and Hit and Run.
0: indeed 8888 that's the date and this bud's for you bill murray Thank you. i've been dying under these lights until you handed me this thing it's such a pleasure to see you especially on a noteworthy event like this one well i don't know how i feel about night baseball it's great in the minor leagues but it's someplace else to go in town besides your restaurant which is a good thing (laughs) i found a real sweetheart
2: Who'll never let me down. Got no time to fuss. I'll miss the bus. Maybe baby will be cross cross
3: town. Cubs and socks tonight, the 8th of August at Wrigley Field. 6.09 p.m. is your first pitch. You'll hear it right here on 670 the score. If you're going to watch it on TV, your choice is ABC, not ESPN. No, no, no. ABC. They've been looking to put Sunday Night Baseball on broadcast TV for a while. ABC has had Sunday Night programming of consequence. But tonight, it'll be Cubs and White Sox on ABC. If you're not a cable haver for some reason, you'll be able to get it right there. And the first voice you heard was Al Michaels during the 1987 World Series. And Al Michaels is going to be part of this broadcast for ABC tonight. I'm confused. I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. NBC is loaning Al Michaels to ABC because he's still on NBC. He does Sunday Night Football, right? But he's getting loaned out for this to be a part of the broadcast a little bit. Those lines are very, very thinly drawn these days. And, you know, I think that for the most part, that can be that can be a good thing al michaels was a baseball guy i believe before anything he was uh the cincinnati reds broadcaster and then for a while there um he was the voice of monday night baseball on abc our guest earlier in the show was Steve Stone. Steve Stone's debut as a broadcaster, I believe, was on ABC's Monday Night Baseball, along with Don Drysdale and Al Michaels. I watched that broadcast, enjoyed it quite a bit. And yes, Michaels with the Cincinnati Reds, and then eventually part of a World Series, the first World Series he ever did was 1972. And that was the Uh, The Reds against the Oakland A's in their first of three. But lots of famous moments. Then he'll be back as part of the broadcast tonight. I would enjoy it if he did the whole thing and Matt Vaskersen went away. But that's, you know, that's just me. That'll be your option for tonight. And then night baseball at Wrigley Field, no longer an anomaly. 1988, man, that's a woof. So wild. Interesting day here in baseball history. Also today, 25 years ago, the White Sox debuted the shorts on the south side. Also debuted this weekend 10 years ago. Debuted. That's exactly right. What an unfortunate national broadcast that is. Checking out the Big Mamba. Yeah, what, uh, what what an unfortunate and ineffective tool to promote the game all around the country. The score is where you are. It's hit and run. Just 10 minutes left of me, people. Maybe even less. But let's talk to Ron on the South Side for part of those 10 minutes, because Ron is the goods. Hi, Ron. Good morning. Welcome in. How are you?
0: Hey, good morning, Matt. Boy, I tell you, conjured up some bad images. Those those shorts in 1976. Wow. <laughs> Ugly. Uh, you know, uh, I was listening to uh, Steve Stone, and I always listen to him very closely. And when he talked about the bullpen, That he said that the White Sox bullpen, if this could possibly be one of the best bullpen in the history. Now, we know that you have to, you know, particularly probably get through the playoffs and get to the World Series. Um, but, you know, what's, what's interesting, Matt, when the season first started, that was really projected to be the strength of this team, and then they struggled but with Javier and Kimball. So I want you to make a comment on that because we, we, you know, we know about the Nasty Boys, but for me, the best bullpen that I've seen in probably the last 25, 30 years was Kansas City. They took the game right to the fifth inning, and the game was over. You know, for them to get to the World Series back-to-back, and it was primarily on a bullpen. So – so just, maybe you can just chime in on that did yeah, you, you make that statement.
3: Thanks, man. Appreciate you, Ron. Yeah, he did say that. One of the best bullpens ever. The thing about Kansas City and Ned Yost is they made his life very, very easy. They had one guy for the seventh in Herrera, one guy for the eighth in Wade Davis, one guy for the ninth in Greg Holland. Before that, Joaquin Soria was uh, part of the mix. You know, and when you think historically about the great bullpens, you think about boilerplate roles like Mariano Rivera getting set up um, by Jeff Nelson or Rivera setting up John Wetland before that. You know, a couple years ago, that Yankees bullpen with Chapman, And God, so many different guys with incredible swing and miss stuff, but they did not win it all. Uh, But anyway, my point being that usually there is one defined closer, one defined setup guy. And when they make it real easy for a manager, that can be something. Tony's going to have some mixing and matching, some buttons to push. He does have far and away. The best strikeout rate of any bullpen, especially now. When you look at the eight guys that are there, they have a combined strikeout rate of 35%. Mike Petriello did some work on that on MLB.com earlier in the week. The eight guys who are there now, 35%. That's really, really high, everybody. I will always think of the Nasty Boys, Randy Myers, Rob Dibble, Norm Charlton, really just the three of them at a time when you didn't need many more than that, so you didn't have to go deeper. These days, you think about dominant bullpens, and it's got to be four, five, six different guys. The Tampa Rays last year was a remarkable bullpen without a thoroughly defined closer, but they had just so many different guys who could come at you so many different ways, and they made the World Series, and, and you all, everybody got a chance to see how that was put together. Could this one be up there? Sure. Sure it could. But... It'll take some, some postseason excellence to lock it in. I mean, those Dennis Eckersley Oakland A's bullpens were just outrageous, and they had multiple people in there that you remember, Honeycutt and Gene Nelson and Eric Plunk and Greg Cattare and guys like that. This has a shot to be one of the greatest bullpens of all time, that's for sure. But the number of decisions that are going to have to be made along the way to make it execute is going to make it very, very compelling and very, very interesting. Thank you to my guest today, Steve Stone in Hour number one, Sahad of Sharma at the beginning of this hour. If you're a Cub fan starved for state of the franchise conversation, it was a pretty good one at the beginning of the hour. Sean Anderson does a great job producing and did that again today. Rami Makloff is next from noon to 3 right here on The Score. Lots of Cubs and Sox talk in advance of that finale tonight. And then Chris Ranji at 3 o'clock up until Cubs pregame at 5.30. So live and local, keep it right here on The Score all afternoon. Me, I'm back with Danny Parkins all week starting tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy it. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. You mentioned Phil Mickelson winning today in golf. When you think about Javi Baez, if you think about a golfer, he's John Daly, right? He's going for the downs every pitch.
2: TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my word